Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk and our limited series on cocktail modifiers. Alkademics.com defines a cocktail modifier as a cocktail ingredient, usually alcoholic and typically fortified wine or a liqueur, that both softens the base spirit and adds flavor to the drink. In this series, we'll talk to the experts, bar professionals, and regular folks like us to better understand what modifiers are and how to use them. First up, Campari. Uh, hi, my name is Daniel Warlow. I'm the Italian Portfolio Ambassador for Campari America. Thanks for being here today. So, Daniel, what is Campari? Where did it come from? Well, <laughs> it's a um, slightly complicated answer to this question. Campari is um, is categorized as a uh, is an aperitivo. If you if you look at the the category of, of beverages. Um, in Italy, it's all about time of consumption. So aperitivo is, um, the root word is apiere, which means to open. So kind of to open your, your palate, to open your meal. Um, and that's the beginning of, of your night, essentially. Aperitivo is essentially three things. It's a time of day, it's a, um, a style of beverage, and it's a style of food. And all of those things happen all at once. I think one of the the best things about Italian eating and drinking is that they're all kind of synonymous and always together at some point. Um, and then you would move on into your, your evening, you would have your meal. And then after that, you would have DJ Stevo. And that's really just to aid in digestion. In Italy, um, they would call um, Campari or anything that's in the aperitivo section a bitter, whereas you would call anything in the digestivo section in Amaro. And I think the overarching term Amaro, which means bitter, is something that in America we tend to put things under. It's just easier to understand. I think the idea of only consuming one thing at one time is not really an American thing. You know, we tend to have cocktails in, you know, before our meal, during our meal, after our meal. It's just kind of how we've culturally um, adjusted to cocktails, where in Italy, that's a very different thing. And it's all about when you consume things. Um, Campari essentially is a um, a maceration of herbs, botanicals, citrus, bitter citrus, um, high-proof spirits. Um, and uh, it's, it's one of those things that is really hard to define because there are so many other things out there like it. Um, it's been around since the 1860s. It was the first um, red Italian bitter, and there's definitely been other bitters out there since then. Um, red bitters, especially in America, there's a ton of them right now, um, and more new ones coming out all the time. But it is the first kind of bracingly bitter, uh, unmistakably red Italian aperitivo. The recipe was developed obviously in Italy. Do you have any other uh, like background on how it was developed or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of history. We've we have a lot of records. I mean, one of the cool things about being the company that you know owns it, operates it, um, you know, family members are still a part of the company, is that we have a lot of history on the brand. We have a lot of history of where things came from, how they started. <clears throat> we actually own and operate a bar called the Camperino Bar in Milan. That is <clears throat> was the first location that the production of Campari actually happened. Um, and so that happened in 1867 is when that opened. Um, and so, uh, having all of that frame of reference and all that perspective is really unique. I think to a lot of brands, not everybody, you know, owns and operates a bar that's been around for 160 plus years. That was the place where everything was made. Um, and from there, 
um, which is, by the way, it's it's in the, the Galleria, which is next to the Duomo in Milan. So if you're familiar with the area, it's right in the center of Milan. The first train tracks, actually, like public transit, originated in that location. And the first stop on it was a place called Sesto San Giovanni, which is um, the first location that we moved our production to, our, our actual first factory, um, that is now actually our global headquarters. So everything in the city of Milan is essentially tied to the history of Campari. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. Um, from a production perspective, Gaspari Campari, who created uh, Campari, took about four to seven years to really kind of master what that was. He started in a city called Novara, which is not far from Milan, but that's um, where his family originated. And then he moved into the city of Milan. Um, they were the first family to move into the Galleria. Uh, his son, Davide, whose name is on the bottle right now, was the first citizen of Milan to be born in that in that uh, building, which is really unique as well. So from a production perspective, you know, we've always had like a, a lot of contact with it. There's never been a time where it's moved away from us. The essential recipe of it is one of those, you know, very, very secret recipes, which I think is pretty unique because at the end of the day, you know, you could have, I could tell you all of the ingredients in Campari right now, but that's just a small piece of the puzzle of how to produce something like this. Something that Gaspari realized um, from years as a, as a child kind of teenager, 14-year-old, essentially, when he first started working in bars and restaurants was how to start mixing things, how to start making your own whatever it may be. Because back then, if you think about it in the early 1800s, you know, we didn't have the production of things that we have now. We didn't have the shipment and infrastructure that we have now to get um, products from the other side of the world, let alone kind of the other side of a country. It was really difficult to do that. So in order to operate bars and restaurants, you had to really make your own thing. Gaspari had a keen interest on that. Uh, he spent a lot of time kind of in the in the basements, kind of tinkering with all those things, creating all those things, and then essentially opening his own bar and restaurant where he started to, to make what is now Campari. It's kind of based on a, a bitter beverage that was coming down from Holland. It, it was a very, very different beverage in a lot of different ways, but and most of it had to do with what botanicals were uh, available to you at that place where you were. Um, Cause obviously they didn't have like Amazon to ship you same day, like wormwood or anything like that. So whatever grew in the same area is what you kind of used. And that's indicative in, in some Amari um, that you taste right now. One of our oldest brands, Braulio has uh, juniper in it. And juniper is something that grows all over um, the Veltalina area, which is in Bormio where it comes from. So, uh, it's one of those things that when you smell it and you taste it, you know that this is that thing where it comes from and from that place. Gaspari's kind of additions to it were a lot of Italian-based citrus, like a bitter, like quinoto, for example. These are all things that, you know, are speculative. I can't confirm or deny anything that's in it. Um, but, you know, his additions to it were definitely, you know, locally-based products. And then... Um, in the 1860s, late 1860s, when they started um, serving it in what is now the Camperino Bar, people started to really enjoy this beverage. And so they they wondered what it was. They, you know, they drank it in a very different way than we drink it now. Um, Campari, much like every other product at that time, was really consumed neat on its own and like a little cordial glass. Um, 
I always have to give people a little perspective when they think about things like that. Think about the time that it that it happened. You know, we didn't have ice in cocktail bars. Like ice was something you had to go to a frozen lake, cut it out, bring it back, um, which was actually an American invention that we brought over to Europe. We kind of taught them how to extract ice, pack it, bring it, serve it. Um, so that didn't really happen until the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so people would just drink these things on the on their own. So if you think about Campari, for example, a lot of people, um, they don't drink it on its own. They never sit there and sip it. You know, they never like try to deduce what kind of botanicals are in it or anything like that. They drink it in cocktails and, and that's a, a pretty popular way. But I think if you were to take the time and sit there and, and sip it, you would really, you'd get the notes that are most prevalent. You'd get those like bitter botanicals. You'd understand the length of time on the palate which is, has a lot to do with the production process. Um, if you think about all of the brands out there, there's a lot of ways to produce. Um, there's a lot of different extraction methods. Um, there's really simple methods like maceration, where you just take a bunch of botanicals and throw it in high-proof spirit and let it sit. There's uh, infusion, decoction, percolation. There's a bunch of different ways, and they all have to do with um, a few different variables. Variable number one is the strength of your solvent. So a solvent, for example, could be wine. So vermouth is, is a prime example of that. Vermouth is a maceration of different botanicals in, in wine. So low, low proof solvent, uh, or it could be very high proof solvent with you know, high proof spirit. That's one variable. Variable number two is the time. How long do they sit together? Is it something that sits for 30 days, two months? If you were to take the same botanical and the same solvent strength and let it sit for a different period of time, it's going to taste completely different. Um, and then the third is temperature. So what is the temperature of the solvent? Is it boiling hot? Is it cold? Is it room temperature? Um, are you heating it up over time? And all three of those variables combined creates this kind of like Rubik's cube of puzzle to solve, if you will. Uh, Campari, uh, in, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult things to produce. Um, there's about three different processes that we use. There's also distillation, um, recombining different things at the end. So as a product, if you were to taste a bunch of bitter, you know, Italian or red bitters, um, I find it to be the most complex because of that. It's, been, it's the longest length of time on the palate. There's so many different things that come out to you when you taste it. So I think that's a long way of saying that the production process was a, a long time coming. And I think um, Gaspari really understood in order to create a unique product, he had to master all those variables and he had to you know, really put all those things together. So I hope that answers that question. Wonderful. That That's is really cool. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> now I've heard the I've heard it told that it gets its red color from ladybugs. Can you verify or deny that? I can definitely deny that. Um, ladybugs <laughs> have never been used. I mean, maybe for good luck they were around, but we never put them <laughs> in the product. Um, there was definitely a period of time where we used what was called cochineal coloring. Cochineal coloring is a form of a beetle shell, but it's not ladybugs. Um, and the beetles themselves, cochineal beetles, are, are very, very small uh, beetles that grow sometimes in like cacti, um, that you'll find them a lot in like South America. And when kind of pressed, 
their shells themselves, after you dry them and, and use them, um, they produce a really, really intense red coloring. So we did for a long period of time use cochineal coloring. And then we stopped doing that. I, I think it was, it was either 2006 or 2009. We stopped using cochineal coloring and there's a lot of, you know, legal reasons for that. And also, I mean, it's, it's pretty intense story, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But we moved to artificial coloring in, I believe it was 2009. And we've been doing that ever since. I personally don't think it changes the taste at all. If you were to taste older Campari versus, you know, newer Campari, just like anything, you know, things change over time. Um, also, just, you know, like access to different botanicals uh, changes over time. And also the botanicals themselves and citrus changes over time. You know, it's just like wine. If you were to pick grapes one year, or pick them the next year, you're going to have a completely different product. I think people think spirits because they're using like gin or whatever, for example, they're using dried botanicals or whatever. They're going to be the same every year. And that is just not the case. Um, if you look at any of the, the greatest master distillers of gin in the world, one of the things that makes them great is their relationship to their juniper producers so that they know ahead of time they taste, you know, nine different samples of juniper just so they know exactly what they're getting because it changes every year. So um, long story short, uh, no, we don't use ladybugs. I'm a fan of ladybugs. Ladybugs are safe. We're good. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. And now here is our bartending professional, James DeFrance, to tell us how we use Campari. Hey, James. Hello. I'm going to get started. The Negroni is the most notable cocktail that you'll see using Campari. Classically, it's going to be three equal parts of spirit, uh, vermouth, and Campari itself. So because it's got the bitter orangeness to it, um, it all and sweetness as well. It's providing a great big globe of flavor. So what you're doing is you are having adding that into the spirit, your base spirit, whatever it may be, gin classically, uh, and then it's also being lengthened and having the sweetness reinforced with usually sweet vermouth. In those two elements, the sweet vermouth and the Campari, you have both uh, herbaceous flavors, bitterness and sweetness, all playing around in. in in both of those. But your vermouth is a little bit lower alcohol. They're all playing around and you're getting this kind of phase through these three elements. And then you don't have to make this equal parts. If you find one or more of them too intense, you can play around with it. Campari actually has a set of dice that you can roll. And on the, each of the six different sides of the three dice are a different um, type of vermouth or fortified wine. A, a different type of spirit, and then maybe a fruit that you can add to it. So you can make your Negroni whatever you want. So that's that, the biggest use of Campari. So that's something that Campari produced, the set of dice? Yes. Oh, that's As cool. like a promotional item. So then you can just, if you if you've bought a bottle of Campari um, and you know had that item, or you could look up what's on them, you could just play that game at parties and kind of reach for various things and, and keep making different versions. Uh, and is this typically a rocks drink or an up drink or, or how do you typically serve your Negroni? I typically serve it on a nice large cube because it benefits from being chilled. If it gets too warm, the sweetness and bitterness will just rise out and it becomes uh, to me a little cough syrupy. Uh, but people who want to, who drink them fast or if you make them small, they're, they're nice up as well. So Knowing a little bit about the flavor profile, you can go in 
almost any direction with how you use Campari. Uh, you'll see it in now in basically every different type of, of drink. Because it's orangey, you can see it in sours and you could throw it into a classic um, gin sour build with your lemon juice, gin, throw in some, some Campari to just bring out a beautiful color, add in some orange uh, elements and have a little bitter finish. And then if you have an egg white in there, it's frothing out of it and it's really like nice and lovely. Um, you'll see it in dark whiskey drinks. So the whiskey version of a Negroni, of course, is the Boulevardier. Use a nice, strong, boldly flavored uh, whiskey, whether that's a high rye bourbon or um, an overproof rye, something that you're going to have a bit of, of spunk, a little bit of reinforcement there. Once again, sweet vermouth, <laughs> Campari, whiskey, that's your Boulevardier. Um, one of the fun ones uh, that you can throw together for brunch and then is just to shake Campari with orange juice. And that's called a Garibaldi. I think it's really fun because you're only getting about a wine glass with two shot, two ounces or so of Campari. You're only getting like a mimosa's worth of alcohol. But that is um, just it's it's different. It's 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 a way of having something a little bit bolder, a little bit heavier. The other thing is if you're shaking freshly squeezed orange juice, it'll have a nice foam on top too. So it's a fun, pleasant experience to mix yourself up a Garibaldi. That's interesting. Um, and do you know who Garibaldi was? I do. He was uh, an Italian general uh, who like fought so many wars. He was constantly, um, he, I think he fought in a war with the Dutch. He was in South America. And then he came back and, and fought uh, through the unification wars, if I remember right, correctly. Right. He's kind of the father of modern Italy. He unified the country in the 1860s. That's cool. All right. I've never heard of that, uh, that cocktail. I'll have to try it. Yeah, it's actually, it's possible that he would have had Campari because this is a product for sure by 1867. So it would be, it, it would be really cool if that was the case. Um, then you'll see it popping up in tiki drinks as well. So, um, I mean, one of the fun things is it's got a few different flavors. The cochineal that used to provide the red color is actually something you find in cactuses in um, in Central and South America, the little little bugs. Now, of course, it's no longer with that, but it has even a little bit of a tropical tie. So Jungle Bird, if memory serves, is dark rum, pineapple juice, uh, Campari, and I might be leaving something else out. I... Uh, I like to make the Roman on holiday. We're all do a two, uh, a golden rum and a dark rum, uh, pineapple juice and raspberry puree or raspberry jam in with the Campari. And so then you're having this whole swing of flavors, the hinted tropical fruits through the rum, actual tropical fruit with uh, the pineapple, that phosphoric acid that's in pineapple juice to me does something magical with the, the inherent bitterness uh, with Campari and then sort of round out a top note, kind of like Sweet Vermouth's effect in Negroni, um, that raspberry jam uh, just like kind of brings it all together, just a little like uh, crown jewel atop of the cocktail. That sounds amazing. So that's that's another one I, uh, I really like, but that demonstrates you can go in pretty much any location from, you can make a spritz with it. So from these very light drinks, sours, 
tropical drinks, uh, all the way into the whole family of um, all spirit Negronis and other sherry cocktails where you see it coming up. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, James. That was very informative. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and now I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we need to make a cocktail. All right. Thanks for that info, James. Cheers. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Cheers. All right. Now let's hear from an actual Campari fan. Father Nick Ventura, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Leanne and Blair. It's an honor to be here. So, Father Nick, tell us your Campari story. Well, um, Campari and I go almost about 12 years back. I was actually in seminary. And I was visiting a friend at a summer assignment. So kind of how it works in seminary on the, in the summers off of school, you get assigned to a parish as almost kind of like an intern. And um, so I was visiting one of my friends and he says, hey, have you ever had a Negroni before? And I being brand, I was like maybe 23, 24, hadn't really gotten to the cocktail scene yet. And so I said, okay, first drink a little bit of Campari. And when I drank the Campari by itself, I said, why would anyone ever drink this? Um, to be perfectly honest. And then combined with the gin and just that citrus smell coming from the lemon peel, totally just opened my eyes to the kind of fun cocktails you can make with it. And so I would drink Negronis pretty regularly, usually in the summer months. And one time, the same friend and I, we went out to dinner. We were priests. And at the servant, we were ordering Negronis. And the guy came over, heard you guys talking about whiskey. Have you ever had a boulevardier? And I distinctly remember replying, a boulevard what? <laughs> um, so he was like, no, it's, it's bourbon, Campari, and sweet vermouth. And I'm like, so basically a Negroni, except with a better liquor. <laughs> so instantly fell in love with it um it was it was great so that was kind of my first encounter with it and then I was assigned to my first parish as a priest and um sometimes the the guy who's there who you're there with the pastor they go on vacation and so you try to host every once in a while when the pastor is gone a pastor is gone party a pig party and so, oh, I, nice. Yeah. <laughs> we were, I was trying to put together a pig party and I was, you know, buying steaks and trying to buy stuff for cocktail bar. And I knew I wanted Boulevardiers. I knew I wanted Negronis, but I couldn't find Campari anywhere for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like I'd go to Kroger, I'd go to the Andersons, couldn't find it. I, I think I was just looking in the wrong place. And this was in Ohio. And this was in Ohio. Okay. Um, and when I was kind of ranting or venting to the parish secretary, uh, Noel is her name. She, uh, she said, well, you know that, you know that Andemic works for Campari, don't you? Now, I had known Anne already because her son was in our youth group. Um, and, you know, I had known both her and her husband. They had been kind of involved in the parish. And my eyes lit up like, Really? Yeah, she works for a Campari. She's a rep for them. And this was back in like 2015, 2016. And so uh, I was like, okay. And so that following weekend, I see her at mass and I say, Anne, I want to talk to you. Now, I feel really bad 
because when I said, I want to talk to you, it's like I was running at her a hundred miles an hour in a big semi truck. And that she would make, <laughs> that would make anyone nervous. <laughs> yeah. We didn't really know each other then, but when the priest goes, Hey, I want to talk to you. Uh, I heard you work for Campari and she looked even more scared. She thought I was going to yell at her. And then I up and said, how can you hook me up? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know you. <laughs> That's awesome. That is amazing. So your your love of Campari has lasted all these years. Yeah. And so I just have one question for you. Up or on the rocks with your Boulevardier or your Negroni? Oh, if I'm making it on a big block of ice. Okay. Okay. If I'm ordering in a restaurant, up. Why I, is that? I don't know. It just... Because I've gotten it on the rocks at a restaurant, and it's too watered down. Okay. And but when I make it just with a big ice block, it just it it doesn't taste watered down. Like okay. it's a nice, nice, nice blend. I haven't. I've yet to really encounter too many places that use a big ice block with a boulevardier. So most of the time, I just order it up because I know I'll get a consistent flavor. Okay. Fair enough. Well, Father Nick. Thank you so much for sharing your Campari story with us. We really appreciate it. And cheers to you. Cheers. Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. Visit our website at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, special events, merchandise, And if you're looking for a gift for that special person in your life, get them a gift card to our cocktail tour. Thank you to the biographer for our original music. And please remember to drink responsibly and be cocktail curious. Cheers. Cheers.